Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. Uh, my name is Dan Martin. I'm the Dan from the title of this exact podcast that you're listening to at this exact moment. Um, I'm a special effects artist and long-time podcaster and I'm joined as ever by my co-host. Sam Ashurst. Now, we're going to be doing things slightly differently this week. Um, we were summoned to um, the, the punishment wing of Arrow Towers um, last week. To, to go over our, our approach to podcasting. And as it turns out, we're a little bit too... Formulaic. Formulaic. We're too formulaic. Um, and we have started to lean a little bit too much on trivia. So um, we were summoned to Arrow Headquarters, which is like a, a cross between a, a, a castle and a video shop. And we were, thought we were being taken to the uh, Pleasure Tower, the Reward Palace, uh, where we would be celebrated with with uh, ornaments, um, but instead we were taken to the dungeon, <laughs> and uh, and re- we received our, uh, our strict instructions. No, I, I mean none of that's true. Obviously, what did you have in mind with cele- <laughs> celebrated with ornaments? You know, just like nice things like baubles and trinkets, and crowns, like of us, crowns, statues of us. Um, but there were no statues, only a very pleasant and polite meeting in which we were asked to be a little bit less formulaic. So that's what we're going to do. So there'll be none of the normal sort of um, catchphrases. Just going to do it different. I'm just going to do it different. No, no catchphrases, and we're just going to basically. Do we have catchphrases? Yeah, we do. We have. Um, we have. Um, before we do that, and we have. Um, <laughs> and we have. Okay. Um, uh, we have loads. We have okay. loads. So do, do them all in a row so that the audience know what they're not going to get anymore. No, no, no. Because <laughs> this is specific. Look, this is what we were asked not to do, basically. <laughs> so we're not going to do that. So um, instead, we're just going to have uh, a casual chat about yeah. this week's film, which is George Romero's Season of the Witch. Although to really mix it up, we've actually watched different movies. Well, we haven't. <laughs> but actually, we ha- what we have done for the first time is we've watched the movies separately. So, um, or the movie separately. So uh, you're getting our first chat about what we thought of the film Live on air. Isn't that exciting? I was going to pretend I'd watch the old Wednesday play episode that was called Season of the Witch. I mean, that would be ridiculous because, as we all know, we were watching the Nicolas Cage Season of the Witch. <laughs> right? I, you know, this I discovered, I discovered recently that that's not all set in oldie times. I turned it off early enough that I didn't know now, that now, that went into modern times. S- sweet, sweet listeners, when Dan <laughs> says, I turned it off early enough, what he means mm. is, I fell asleep before the end, because we watched that together. Well, we didn't watch it to the end, though. We did. Well, I did. Did my internal kill switch <laughs> get rid of that film? I swear I thought we did. We invoke the 10-minute rule on that. No, 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 we watched the whole thing. The whole interminable thing. And we watched it together? Well, in the same room, yeah. But we're not, we're not here to talk about that season of the witch. We're here to talk about the season of the witch that Arrow just released in a lovely box set. And what's that box set called, Dan? Uh, between, no, I don't, I don't, is it between, it's between dawn and day or between night and day or between night and dawn? It's between night and dawn. Thanks. For the love of God. <laughs> it's, obviously it's not between dawn and day, but yeah, the, the other, the other option was viable. Yeah, I guess. Mm, in a way. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's three films. Yes. So the three films are The Crazies, uh, There's Always Vanilla. There's Always Vanilla. And Season Season of the the Witch. Witch. And Dan, what did you think of Season of the Witch? I like Season of the Witch. I've never seen it before. 
and I was pleasantly sideswiped by the opening sequence. Yeah. Um, we, we we were talking about, well, we started talking about this, and uh, you quite rightly said, save, save it for the podcast. <laughs> that's that's going to be my new catchphrase, I think, but yeah. <laughs> but like, real life catchphrase. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it would be redundant on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> save it for the next podcast. But yeah, so I don't know, like, this is, we were talking about spoilers, and we've talked about this bit online, we've interacted with some people online uh, about this, some people that listen to the podcast, and um, the general feeling seems to be, spoilers are okay if you telegraph them, if the movie's super well known, like The Thing, um, but then on the rarer or weirder ones that a smaller percentage of the audience would have seen, then maybe we should be a little more cautious. Yeah, Season of the Witch is um, a, a George Romero film, it is... You'd not know it was a George Romero film, at least initially, uh, at least from watching it. It feels like a, a big departure well, from his other I, I, stuff. I, I feel totally. that's. I feel that's. See, the problem here is it's so early that there actually wasn't a, a, such a thing as a George Romero. No, film no, no. At this I, point. But like, if you watched it as it was released, then yes, yeah. obviously, you, how would you know? Yeah, but yeah. I think now, looking back on the canon, yeah. The the it's only at the end that you could sort of say oh well tonally it's commensurate with his album. Well, this is this is really sort but, of this kind of gets into what I think's very unfortunate about um, about this whole situation. Now I love George Romero. Yeah. I, unfortunately, I, I never had the chance to interview him. Um, he was uh, a big name on my list of people that I wanted to interview, but um, everything that I've heard about him uh, suggests that he's just such a lovely, lovely man. And films like Season of the Witch and Martin, which isn't on this box set, but point in the direction of a very different kind of filmmaker, which yeah. I think is unfortunate that he never got the chance to be because you know he came out of the gate with such a huge success with Night of the Living Dead and it kind of almost branded him before he even had the chance to sort of develop his own voice, if that makes sense. Well, so that's why it's a bit of a bugbear. So there are two, two things, one that supports that and one that slightly undercuts it. Mm -hmm. In the interview with, and I'm ashamedly I've forgotten her name, the leading lady from Season of the Witch, there's a, there's a nice uh, interview with her that was done for the, I think for the Anchor Bay DVD, but that Arrow have managed to get hold of and put on this disc as well as some new stuff. Um, and she talks about how she thinks, from her like talking to George, that she thinks that he didn't want to stay as a horror director, and that he was kind of uh, frustrated—not emotionally, but like potentially, potential, oh, whatever. Yeah, but in his potential, uh, he was frustrated because there were other stories he had to tell and other things he wanted to do. Now, I, I read, I read that slightly do. differently. It's Jam White, and Jam White, and yes. I felt like. Um, so she said that basically um, George's wife, who produced the film, called her up and said, we made quite a bit of money from this other film, and uh, here's the film that we want to do. Um, and I feel like George had something to say within the, the, the supernatural genre. I, th I think he was basically... It wasn't that he was forced into making a horror film. It was Oh, no, 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 you've okay. misunderstood what I was saying. I... I don't think she was in any way besmirching his commitment to that movie at yeah, all. Yeah. I think she felt that this indicated a possible other avenue I see. rather than just the zombie stuff. 
but that the successes on himself was so overwhelming that, um, that will always be what he's known for you, and you, so you, he you, didn't get to go as broad with his other stuff as possible you said horror so that's what confused Sorry, me yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I understand that yeah the zombie stuff you know potentially well, wanted but, to move I mean, away from it okay. but again he still hadn't you know he hadn't this box set is called between yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. night and dawn so he, he hadn't done dawn yet he wasn't yeah. fully fixed in that way but well, I, I feel like his career um, it was almost like going back to a safety net with with Dawn because well, okay, so that was obviously the other thing. Martin was a bit of a flop. Unfortunately, season of the witch was really badly handled in the way it was released, yeah. and George hated the experience of making There's Always Vanilla. So, um, yeah, go on. What were you going to say? Well, the other the other thing I was going to say, which I feel goes the other way, is he talks about, and again, this is on the. Uh, Arrow Extra where he's talking to Del Toro they mm-hmm. do quite a nice interview with him and well, like a convers- in in conversation thing where uh, Guillermo Del Toro and um, and George Romero are sort of just chatting for an hour and that's really nice actually he really obviously comes across as a nice and quite humble man mm-hmm. there despite mm-hmm. the fact that uh, Del Toro is, is basically making love to his film career in front of him I mean as you would as you would it's very hard to make a compliment stick with that man, evidently. But um, but yeah, he talks about the fact that when he did um, Night Riders and uh, what was the other one in the three picture deal, he got offered a three picture deal off the back of Dawn, uh, um, off the back of um, something else rather, and he insisted that Dawn was in that three picture deal. He said, "But I have to do a third, a second Dead film, I have to right. do another Dead film." So he obviously wanted to continue in that direction. So it's not something he was overtly forced into, but no. I think after the success of, of Dawn, no, I, I, I don't think that's that's yeah. when he was locked. I, I don't think he was forced into it. I, I just merely thought that it could have been more of a comfort zone for him. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, a he, safety net, a safety net, and you know he'd been through a, a sort of and and this is what really annoys me is that you know he had a really rough ride. I know we're not doing trivia and research, but <laughs> I do. I happen to already have in my brain that. Um, the release of, of Season of the Witch was completely messed over by the producer who tried to market it as a porn film, retitled it Hungry Wives, which is the title that actually comes up on this on disc. Le- um, uh, and on uh, Letterboxd as well. If you search for Season of the Witch, you the poster that comes up is Hungry Wives. Like and it's, and it's, it's such a crazy poster. Like it, it's What is it? It's something like... What is it? It's something to do with them... Eating caviar in the kitchen, having nothing on in the bedroom, something yeah. like that. It's so weird. Well, but he. There's and an, it, this is a, a proper supernatural witch movie. And, but there's another. Yeah. Well, okay, so two things. One of which is a bit of a spoiler, so I'll flag that up again in a second. The first one is apparently there's a there's a throwaway comment uh, in the same interview with is it Jan, Jan White? Yeah, yeah, with Jan White where she says she didn't want to take the film because of the nudity in the script made her think it was a porn film. And when she spoke, to, she got offered the role and she turned it down. And George said, oh, no, 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 don't, don't worry about that. That's just in there so that we can get it financed. That's part of the way we have to, you know, we're, we're presenting it as something that it's not to be able to secure the finance. So kind of obviously the producer wanted it to be that and that's how they were going to market it, whether it was that or not. I don't actually remember her saying that. Yeah. About, um, oh, that's interesting. And George said, oh, no, 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 don't, don't worry about that. That's just in there so that we can get it financed. That's part of the way we have to... You know, we're we're presenting it as something that it's not to be able to secure the finance. So, kind of obviously, the producer wanted it to be that, and that's how they were going to market it, whether it was that or not. I don't actually remember her saying that. Yeah, about, um, oh, that's interesting. 
But yeah, and and she goes on to say that you know by the end of it, they they got a body double for her. But interestingly, she says that by the end of the shoot, she actually would have done those nude scenes because she felt that you know it was integral to the story, and she trusted George so much, but she was too shy to actually tell anyone that she would be up for doing it. So they ended up using the body double anyway. And and she's a really interesting actress because George kind of pursued her. She did sort of a lot of adverts of sort of suburban housewife ads and i think that's probably subverting that image was probably part of the appeal she doesn't really talk about she remembers being flattered like her sister phoned up and said oh there's this film crew in pittsburgh that that really want to use you in their movie and she's like what me and she was really flattered and 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 i i really do think that george was probably trying to subvert that image because it's an incredibly political film isn't it dan yeah yeah it is i mean it's very much about uh, there's a there's a, a nice arc in it that I feel we can't really talk about a, a visual prop that appears in the opening sequence and then again right at the end but I feel it's about um, where society was going there's a um, there's a, a phrase is used where they describe society as well it's anything goes these days and I think she feels like she's not young enough to enjoy the freedoms that are being enjoyed by her daughter uh, she feels like she's missed out. Uh, so she's stuck in this relationship that is is physically abusive, yeah, but also is obviously playing on her on a much like more constant level as well mm. with these emotional scenes that like these dream sequences or like um, introspective sequences that we have, and so she's yeah she's looking for a way to escape from that, uh, and this this is the counterculture she chooses. We set up her finding out about this at a party, about the witch, the witch in the neighbourhood, and she goes for a tarot reading, uh, and she's sort of, the bug is, the, the bug bites her. The, the, the tarot reading witch later says to her that fear is essential, an essential step towards belief, and so she knew that she was likely to, to get involved when she said how scared she was when yeah. she went to the tarot reading. And so it's about overcoming fears because you need to escape from something. Um, uh, that's a really good way of putting it and in, that sort of ties it quite interestingly to la- the last podcast um, where Joachim Trier talked about how much of an influence Season of the Witch was on Thelma and I hadn't seen Season of the Witch at this point, um, this was my first watch as well, um, I kind of avoided it for years because you know, people had said that it was boring, wasn't very good. It had such a bad critical reception, and it annoyed me even more when I watched it because it's so ahead of its time. Yeah, it's really good. It's so ahead of its time, and you know, there are loads of films that are still influenced by it. But Thelma is directly influenced by it. There's um, two scenes which I won't spoil that are pretty much exactly the same um, in terms of their setup. You'll know what I mean when you see both films. It's very, very obvious. Uh, and actually, these films would make a really great double bill when Thelma's out on DVD. But anyway, um, you mentioned that the husband is abusive. There is a scene in which uh, he hits uh, his wife. He hits mm. Jan White. And she actually said, you know, hit me for real in this scene. And so he did. And then when he sort of stepped back from the scene <laughs> to take his position again, a light fell on him. And now, weirdly, this uh, hearing this anecdote on the disc put me in mind of when I was interviewing Joachim Trier, we were just talking away, and then all of a sudden, the poster, and, you know, there was no open windows, you know, no movement in the room, we just sat there talking, the poster suddenly fell from the, the wall onto the floor, and Joachim said, um, so you see, the supernatural's around us always. But yeah, so... 
I watched it uh, with Tony Clark, our, our mutual oh, friend, Tony. Tony. Um, yeah, I took it around there. And, and when I pulled it out of my bag, his face dropped. He said, you know, I first watched this 20 years ago. I didn't really like it then. And I said, well, tough. I've got to watch it for the podcast. And he's like, all right, if, if we've got to, we've got to. So we sat, sat down and watched it. And every now and then, like he was making enthusiastic murmurs. And, and sort of we were chatting a little bit throughout. And then at the end, he just turned to me and said, that was excellent. Thank you for, for bringing that round because I might never have watched it again and I loved it this time. So yeah. it is a film that, you know, I, I think has gotten better with age. Um, yeah. And who did you watch it with? I watched it on my own. Oh, damn. I watched it alone. In a, well, I watched it with my dog. What did the pig think of uh, Season of the Witch? Well, I think by his actions, we can think that he probably found it quite boring because <laughs> <laughs> he slept through it. Oh, dear. Um, although he uh, he has he does quite like films in general. but uh, Especially he, if they've got dogs in them. Likes them if they've got dogs in them, if they've got whistling in them, <laughs> if they've got monkeys in them. He fucking loved Link. <laughs> he went crazy for Link. Did not understand an orangutan in a dinner jacket. That was very, very confusing to the pig. My my dog is called the pig. And we recently found out that he goes bananas for rocket ships. <laughs> Amazing. Fantastic. Yeah, so I, I've literally run out of things to say because I don't have any writing in front of me. Um, <laughs> do you want to recommend a film based on uh, Season of the Witch, Sam? Uh, well, we could do. Like, Do you think we've talked about enough writing? Yeah, I'm okay. probably all right. Oh, oh, actually, no, you know what? I want to sidebar for a second. So, oh, no, there's, like, yeah, there's a couple have, of things I, I want to say as something. well. So, okay, so... Uh, I want to sidebar and talk for a moment. So we were we were discussing earlier when Jan White said that the uh, script had had more nudity in it than the film did. Yeah. And that uh, Romero had said, oh, you know, you've got to trust me. Don't worry about that. That's just so we can get it made. Like, that has to be there to appease the, the execs, the funders, the money men. Right? So that made me think of a couple of films where the script has been deliberately misleading because of the people that have to read the script. And mm. so the, the, the movie has been um, deliberately misrepresented either to the people funding it, mm -hmm. uh, like um, uh, Repulsion, for example, mm -hmm. apparently was uh, very different when it was shown to the money people who were a pornographic house mm -hmm. made erotica and they thought they were getting a very different movie when it was, when they were funding it. Mm -hmm. um, or, in the case of a short film by Nacho Cerda, the Spanish director, called Aftermath, which was did the horror circuit back in the 90s, like the festival circuit back in the 90s, um, which was shot in a morgue in Spain, uh, and it was about necrophilia, mm -hmm. they wrote an entire fake script, like a totally fake script, uh, he told me at Eurofest back in, like, 94, I think. Yeah, they, they, they to get the, the rights to shoot in the in the morgue mm -hmm. they they presented this false script because they knew they'd never be given permission to shoot their other script in the thing but I, there must be examples of that I'm sure I remember hearing about um, like a, a government like fake scripts being handed to government to get films made yeah there's um, I mean one of my favourite examples is um, is kind of the opposite of this in which uh, Jess Franco used to get money um, from uh, producers for what he claimed to be one film and then would do like five films on the cheap 
and only give them the one <laughs> yeah. film that they bought the script for and then he'd sell the other four himself. I love Jess Franco so, so, so much and but, all, of, all of his practices. But then <laughs> other people would sell new Jess Franco films that were just cut together out of old Jess Franco films and didn't have a single new frame in them. So that that make went all the way to the top it's true and and yeah he used to like make up book titles that he claimed to be adapting um which didn't exist like all, yeah. all sorts of brilliant <laughs> stuff um if you don't know much about jesus franco then i recommend you uh you watch as many of his films as possible um if you and, want if you want to and bring your complaints to me personally that's fine <laughs> yeah start with sadomania <laughs> if, you want, if, you want, if you want to know where tarantino gets all of his zooms that's they're all Jess Franco. Yeah, Jess Franco is the the, the king of zooms. Yeah, he is um, the king of oh, not quite that lift up. There we go, zooms. Yeah, <laughs> oh, just he's brilliant. wonderful. Also, check out his list of uh, aliases on IMDb. That is a treat. And yeah, I mean, season of the witch. I I just thought it was very much ahead of its time. Very very powerful. And and Jan White didn't go on to make any other films afterwards, did she? So. You know, um, I, one of the things that I found sort of most touching and most sweet was in that interview, which I think is taken from an Anchor Bay release. Yeah, Anchor Bay. Um, but yeah, she talks about how her hopes for the release would be, firstly, that people would appreciate this film of George's because, you know, she thinks it's a great film and, you know, she wants him to get the credit for it, for it that he deserves. But also just she hoped that her friends and family would watch it and that, you know, she'd have some kind of legacy. The way she puts it is, you know, she likes being in a DVD that's on people's shelves. Yeah. And I just thought that was so sweet. Yeah. So, um, you know, worth buying for that alone. But this whole box set is uh, is pretty impressive. Um, the Crazies is another really underrated film that was ahead that's of its time. Yeah. Um and um, there's always vanilla. I haven't had a chance to get to no, that I've yet. Not seen that yet. Mainly because it's a romantic comedy and mainly because George himself um didn't really like it. But there's a chance there's underappreciated elements to it. I'm certainly gonna know. watch it. Yeah, but um but the set, even if you just got the the two films, The Crazies and Season of the Witch, it's still a brilliant, brilliant set beautifully put together. So what yes. should we do? Uh, let's recommend some films. Do you wanna go first? Shall I go first? Yeah, uh, what normally happens I don't do all the opposite let's, let's do the opposite let's of that. do the opposite exactly get the dog in like George Costanza uh, no he'll just recommend monkey movies like Dunstan checks in or whatever <laughs> that is his um, favourite <laughs> right I will begin no Dan you begin there's that monkey movie where they're all let's on a spaceship animated I don't know I can't remember what it's called what was that called uh, I don't know or, or maybe the French animated TV series Captain Simeon and the Space Monkeys. There you go. That'll cover too, because he likes rockets as well, you see. So. Well, how about uh, how about we pop in a little film called Planet of the Apes for him? That'll oh, shush now. Blow his tiny not, mind. There's not a lot of rockets in Planet of the Apes. I mean, not flying about. I but mean... The beginning of the first one, but no monkeys in those scenes. And then, uh, I, I'm, the... I'm more sort of leaning towards the fact that he enjoyed uh, an ape in a tuxedo. Uh, <laughs> so, an ape on a horse. An <laughs> ape on a horse. Gonna blow his tiny mind. An ape in a spacesuit. Holy shit. Yeah. Right, um, recommendations. Are you going to go first or am I going to go first? Uh, I think you should go first. All right. Uh, my first recommendation is uh, by Herschel Gordon-Lewis. Uh, it's from 1967. Um, it's called Something Weird. Uh, I think, I'm pretty certain, it's on the massive Herschel Nurse box set that Arrow did recently, I, which I have, but haven't completely worked my way through. I have the Something Weird DVD from the States as well, which, yeah, I mean, I did my dissertation at university on Herschel Lewis. 
I those those discs are fantastic. I assume all the extras have been ported over. It's amazing. It's if you know Herschel Lewis but haven't seen this one, it's probably more like the other ones you haven't watched than you know. It's not your Blood Feast and your Gorgle Girls. It's more. No, it's not more like anything. Maybe She Doves on Wheels a bit, but it's... How it, does it connect to Season of the Witch? So, it, it, it is about a, a handsome man who is facially disfigured after a car crash when he uh, he hits a pylon and it disfigures him uh, and devastated that he has lost his looks. He makes a deal with a hideous witch to give him back his uh, his looks. However, the car crash did also give him uh, psychic powers. So he and his hag bride, who everyone else sees as a beautiful woman, go on the road to solve mysteries. Also, everyone takes a load of acid. So when when I ask how it's connected to Season of the Witch, it's mainly because it's got a witch in it. Okay, yes, it is because it has a witch in it. But actually, no, because despite the distance of the gap uh, between the two films... I think visually they're actually not that dissimilar. Okay. Like, during its freakout sequences and when there's a woman in objectively appalling witch makeup, uh, there are obvious differences. But I think that the, um, that the aesthetic in places is uh, like small town Americana, especially films that haven't got enough money to maybe buy, you know, there's a lot of actors' own costumes going on, that kind of stuff. There's, there is a sort of a, a common feel. And they are both dealing with witchcraft, but in pretty different ways. However, they're both dealing with it outside of the normal, oh, the witch is the baddie. Like, when you think of movies with a witch in, we always think of the witch as the, as the antagonist. But in both of these films... The witch is in season. Of the witch, the witch is the well. There is another witch, but the main like yeah. it's a protagonist witch. And then in um, in something weird, she starts off as a low end antagonist, but quickly becomes a protagonist, sort of but helping solve crimes and helping fend off a, uh, a a ropey American government official who's trying to debunk her her ha- newly handsome, newly re handsome husband uh, psychic abilities. Now, that technically leads quite nicely into my first recommendation, but I want to uh, pick up on something that you mentioned, which is the look of Season of the Witch, which we didn't really go into too much in the main discussion. And I find it very interesting, and I would like to get your opinion on this, Dan, the fact that George not only directed it, he operated as the DOP and the editor. Now, normally, I would... I would advise against that um, <laughs> very much so. Um, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say that usually the the ideal is to have collaborators with vision? Now I know there are, there are a lot of directors out there that do operate as their own DP, and it works for them. I know Tarantino did it on Death Proof. I know Paul Thomas Anderson has, has just done it for Phantom Thread, and it worked out on Season of the Witch. I think it looks great, and I think the editing in particular is very very interesting. Possibly, again, a little bit too ahead of its time, considering the reaction it got. But what is your general opinion on this practice, Dan? Uh, I mean, the the practice itself is one of those ones where you can't... I don't think you can just say there's a rule about it, because for some people it's the best choice possible, and for some people it allows them to descend into a masturbatory blind alley. Exactly. Um, where no one is telling them to stop it because there's no one else around. I think it's probably less potentially dangerous to shoot your own film than it is to cut your own film. Definitely. But 
that said, I, I don't know. Like, I think it's it's interesting. The 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 editing is very like quite staccato and, and definitely quite stylized. Very much in so. Season of the Witch. But one of the things that comes I loved up it. again I loved and again, oh, I love it. One of the things that comes up again and again when you hear, read about it or you hear people talk about it is that the first cut was something in the region of four hours. Yeah, uh, and so he, you know, he had to chop out more than half of the movie, mm. and that that practice always leads to a really interesting final project. I think because you, when you shot something that's so long, even if it doesn't release, it doesn't end up in something super snappy and for all its qualities, and I don't think this is it to its detriment, Season of the Witch is not a particularly fast-moving film. Mm. Oh, isn't it? Isn't but, it? but I think that... I mean, it's, it's... Some of the editing is very sort of... Oh, absolutely. But yeah. like, but the, the, but the, the pace, the yeah, pace yeah. is yeah, yeah, for particularly sure. snappy. But I think that it... Um, but, but what he's done is he's been able to cherry-pick the moments to best tell the story he wants to tell. Mm. And that's made for a really good film. Yeah. Made for a really interesting film. And it's, it's sort of a very early example of what we would now call elevated horror. And um, that kind of goes into my first recommendation, which is The Witch, which has uh, a witch <laughs> as the, the witch again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> as the protagonist, which is very interesting in a witchy film, um, as Dan mentioned. And it's a similarly paced, if you haven't seen it, um, I think a lot of people listening to the podcast will have done because it was so highly recommended um, when it was out last year. But if you haven't seen it, it's uh, very kind of slow paced, but full of very vivid images and interesting concepts. Um, and in terms of what it says about gender and about women's role in society, I think there's a lot there to dig into that sort of aligns it with... Um, season of the witch um i kind of hate to think what it would be called if the marketers for hungry wives got their hands on it it'd probably be called something like sexy goat uh, which i actually would probably watch black philip black philip he's a but sexy goat he's, okay two lovely things about black philip there's a fantastic interview with the director where he talks about how much he absolutely fucking hates black philip <laughs> <laughs> he's just like yep he was a twat he wouldn't do anything i wanted i hate him so much i hate him i hate him um, and then also off the back of that apparently black philip has just been cast in another film <laughs> Yes. What is that film? I can't remember. I'm going to start queuing now. I'll look into it and I'll. I love, I love that goddamn goat. Um, I think Empire Magazine, when um, The Witch came out on Home End, I think they just started changing up the way they did like coverage of home entertainment stuff and were doing features that were more in depth on individual aspects. <laughs> and a feature I, on Black Phillip. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was either an interview with Black Phillip, though there's a, a very good chance I imagined that in a, in a beautiful, wonderful with dream. Fever Dream. <laughs> beautiful wonderful dream i had once but no um i feel like black philip um was was discussed in depth in empire and i'm going to stop talking about black philip now because it is starting to sound like i'm sexually attracted to a goat i'm not i just you think i just think you would go and see <laughs> sexy goats or whatever you imagined the retitling of the witch was i mean that that was in mere jest but i feel like we've we've talked about it for for such a long time keep, keep that digging. i'm convincing myself <laughs> i mean I'm going to cast him in my film. He's Let's a, put it that way. He's a, he's a handsome goat. I mean, objectively speaking, he's a handsome goat. He's the best. Good old Black <laughs> Phillip. So yes, watch The Witch. Um, it has a cool goat in it. And also other good stuff. I'm going to recommend another film, Sam. Please do. Are you sure? Oh, God, yes. Okay. My second recommendation is a 1977 Michael Winner film called The Sentinel. Nice. Um, nine years after Rosemary's Baby, but with quite a Rosemary's Baby feel. 
it's not quite as like seedy and gross as you might assume a winner film would be. Mm-hmm. It's uh, about a model um, who's not happy with her life. She moves into a new apartment. She is plagued by memories of a recent suicide attempt, and she starts to distrust the people in her in her apartment. in in a In a slightly Rosemary's Baby, my co-tenants a weird way. I don't want to say anything more about it if you haven't seen it. It's really, really worth checking out. It's got special effects by Dick Smith, who is a legend, was a legend, is a legend, no longer with us, sadly. Um, what, what, uh, I know that he's a personal hero of yours. Can you so, list some of the things that he's done uh, for people who wouldn't Dick, know? Dick Smith is sort of the godfather of modern makeup effects. He was the first person to do overlapping appliances, um, multiple piece prosthetics for the old age makeup on Dustin Hoffman and Little Big Man. But he's probably most famous for The Exorcist. He uh, he's the reason that uh, Sidow didn't get hired for ages because everyone thought he was old. <laughs> Apparently, after the Exorcist, Sidow wouldn't get callbacks for like when he'd go out for interviews, he wouldn't uh, or auditions, he wouldn't get called in because they're like, well, he's well outside the age range that we want mm, yeah. because of Dick Smith's uh, makeup on him, Brilliant. which is fantastic. Uh, he also did Altered States. Yeah, he's fantastic. Um, Godfather. Yeah, he's amazing. So uh, for my next recommendation, I, uh, when I was watching Season of the Witch, I turned to our mutual friend Tony and said, um, this is what it would be like if John Cassavetes directed Rosemary's Baby instead of just appearing in it. Because if you've ever seen any of Cassavetes' movies, they have a very similar atmosphere where it's kind of extreme naturalism. You're kind of watching people hang out rather than appear in a movie. It's a really hard thing to, to sort of pull off in a, in a enjoyable way or in, in an interesting way but uh, Cassavetes creates that tone kind of every time basically and so I'd like to recommend one of his earlier films Faces which is from 1968 which is the same year as uh, Night Living Dead and um, yeah it's it's not a horror in it well it is kind of an existential horror but it's not a traditional horror so you know, don't search it out if you're looking for Halloween watches. But if you do want to watch a really, really interesting, very intelligent, very ahead of its time, independent film from one of the greatest directors there is, please watch Faces um, off the back of Season of the Witch. I've never seen it, so I will add it to oh, my man. list. I mean, I think it's probably on my list somewhere, but I'll bump yeah. it up a bit. Yeah, it's it's really, really great. Yeah, very sort of European and interesting. Okay, that is the end of recommendations based on the film. You, you don't have any more? Uh, no, that's it. We're going to go on no, to... No, I'm happy to do that. I didn't know. You know. Do, you, do you have more for Season no. of the Witch? No. Well, then. No. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Right, so... What have you been watching recently, Dan? Uh, so I've been doing this, 31 Horror Films for October. It's my first time, mm-hmm. and it's my last time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fucking horrible thing to do to yourself. Yeah. Uh, I have watched quite a lot of Drek in the past months just because I'm trying to add horror. I'm trying to watch things I haven't seen before, and there's, obviously there's a few I've watched that I've watched before. But I mean, you could everyone could very, very, very easily do 31 days of, of films, horror films that they love. Um, you know, yeah, two, two a day, three a day. But well, um, if we had the time, if we had the time. But um, you know, when you're like Dan and he wants to watch as many new films as possible, unfortunately, there are some duds out there. Oh my goodness, I've taken a few gambles and I've lost a few times. However, 
One that I I kind of knew it was going to be a, a sure thing. Oh, there were some that I thought were going to be sure things and weren't. But uh, there was one that I really enjoyed uh, was Seoul Station, uh, which is Yong Sang Ho's animated prequel, pseudo prequel uh, to Train to Busan. It's fantastic. Uh, I think he made it before Train to Busan as well, but it's only just come out over here. It's on Amazon. Uh, like VOD, I'm sure someone's put it out on Blu-ray as well. Here, it's I saw it on VOD. It's really, really worth watching. And I think one of the one of the things I, I really like Train to Busan. Uh, if you've read up about how he wanted to end that film, uh, you'll probably be more prepared for the tone of Seal Station, which is definitely more aligned with my tastes. But yeah, it's it's fantastic. Uh, really, really, really beautiful animation as well. Quite simple. A uh, mix of of uh, 2D and 3D elements, but absolutely gorgeous and um, just nice, nice miserable zombie film, animated Yay. zombie film. Misery is good. So my first recommendation, based on what I've been watching recently uh, in the past couple of weeks, is a film called Frankenstein: The True Story. Now, this is a film that I watched when I was uh, a young man and haven't watched since, but. I'm sort of about to start putting together uh, a secret project that I'm doing next year. And so I'm watching uh, films that sort of struck a chord with me that are on a similar note to what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to keep that vague. But Frankenstein, The True Story is from 1973. Um, it's a TV movie, but it is available on DVD. Get it on Amazon for like six quid. And yeah, it's three hours and five minutes long, so it's definitely worth the six quid. And unlike a lot of three-hour movies or some three-hour movies, um, you know, you have kind of lulls and you think, well, this probably could have been done in two hours. Not so here. It is amazing from start to finish. Um, it's kind of, it's it's the kind of traditional Frankenstein story, but with loads of crazy changes and, you know, some inventions that are kind of linked to Mary Shelley's life that they've brought in there. And yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. And, uh, the effects, are actually quite gruesome in places. Um, I'd forgotten just how gruesome the film can get. Um, some of it's a bit silly, but overall it's very powerful, moving, a little bit gross, very violent and has some really interesting twists on the Frankenstein story that I haven't seen anywhere else. So, uh, Frankenstein, the true story. I very, very much recommend it. Another new one for me. Hey. Yeah, I like it when you do that. That's hey. Good. How many are you doing, by the way? I've got quite a pile here. Uh, I, I thought we'd do like three. Three and then a sidebar? Yeah, three and then <laughs> a... Because, right. I mean, the thing is, Dan, it's up to you because you're in charge of extra features today. So have you got lots of extra features for Oh, us? so many extra yeah. features. <laughs> Wait, let's, do, let's do several. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so many extra features. Right, so... Uh, my second recommendation, and as we addressed, you can't only watch films you haven't seen before. Sometimes you need the sweet, sweet embrace of a film you know mm. and love. Yes. Uh, and so I rewatched the 1984 Lucio Fulci classic, Murder Rock. Oh, wow. AKA Dancing Death, with its mind blowing Keith Emerson soundtrack and an amazing unsexy sexy dance which looks like a woman trying to waft away a fart in a, <laughs> in a room that's full of rain oh um yeah i don't know why i love murder rock it's terrible <laughs> it's it's um it's my it's my favorite of the not great fulchies 
Um, Fulci made some incredible films. Yeah. Actually, I re-watched City of the Living Dead today at work while I was sculpting. Cause, mm. So today was the first day of principal photography on Peter Strickland's new film, um, In Fabric, uh, which I'm designing the makeup effects for, makeup and figurative effects. And, and Peter has been referencing City of the Living Dead a couple of times uh, every meeting. And so while I feel that I know it well enough to be like, yep, I know exactly what you're talking about, I thought... Better give it just another another cursory watch. So I had it on uh, had it on while I was sculpting today, and it's a oh, it's a treat every time. It's such a great film. Anyway, back to less less amazing. Uh, yeah, I really really like Murder Rock. I it's it's definitely a, a few drinks in late in the mood late in the evening. Probably don't put it on in on your own. Put don't put it on when you're on your own. Watch it with some friends. But um, it's it's got the, my favourite unsympathetic policeman from Italian cinema. I think it's it's definitely a party movie. Isn't yeah, it? it's a party movie. Yeah, hundred yeah. uh, percent. It is a good one. Dan put me through that um, several years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, man, I love Fulci. I, one of his sort of later weirder ones, uh, Han- his Hansel and Gretel from nineteen ninety. Have you oh seen my that? God. Yeah, that is dark, um, but quite interesting. Uh, okay, my next recommendation is a big tick off my list of films that I haven't seen. Everyone's got the, the classics that they, they haven't necessarily made it to and I managed to tick one off this weekend. Uh, it's a film called uh, Pater Pancelli. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, it's the first part of the Apu trilogy, um, which I've always heard is an absolute sort of masterpiece collection of films and I've just never got started on them and I watched the first one this weekend like I say and holy shit it's instantly gone into my top five of all time um it's one of those films where you sit there you're watching it and you feel lucky to be in its presence um every scene every moment every shot every frame every piece of music is beautiful in this film i found it really powerful really moving and then i did a little bit of research afterwards because i'm a loud arrow i can do research if i want (laughs) (laughs) and um discovered that director satajit rai had never directed anything before making the film he'd never picked up a camera um hadn't made any shorts nothing it was his first film same goes for his DOP, and it was wow. uh, yeah, it was the first film for the entire cast that as well. That is much more impressive than it being a first time director because a, a, a new director can yeah. be carried by a good DOP and a good exactly, cast. Exactly, exactly. If they're all full green, that's it, very impressive. And and the thing about like the thing for me about filmmaking is that you know you you prepare, you plan, and then you sort of get on set and you do what you can uh, in the face of all the sort of adversity that comes at you. And often some of the best moments are magical. Like they're sort of not accidental because you've planned for them and prepared for them, but there's an element of luck in there as well. And this is a film that feels like it's one magical moment after the other. Um, so yeah, I won't waffle on about it too much more. And so it's about, um, a a poor, uh, Bengali family. Um, and the, the patriarch of the family, um, has to go away to, earn some money in the city while um, his wife, his his young son, his young daughter stay behind. And it's kind of, um, you know, I, I hate this term, coming-of-age tale. Um, it's how some bad filmmakers pitch their films. But it is a coming-of-age tale. And, you know, you, you see through, through the eyes of the young boy um, and, you know, you kind of see how he feels about his mother, his sister, and his very, very old auntie, incredibly old. 
In fact, uh, I read an interview uh, with Rye afterwards where he said that one of the miracles of the film was that A, the little boy's voice didn't break, B, the old woman didn't die. <laughs> and, and yeah, anyway, I, I, I've talked about it enough. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful film. I couldn't recommend it anymore. So I won't. Are you going to recommend something else then? Yeah. You got a film, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. We'll just do three. Mine is the 1974 Monty Hellman film Cockfighter, starring Warren Oates. Whoa. Good luck, England. <laughs> um, I think it's still not available over here. Arrow? Um, Arrow? Are yeah. you still listening? Yeah, might, might be a tough sell for Arrow, even given that it's got quite a lot of actual cockfight footage in it. Right. That's why it's not allowed in here. It's amazing. It's, um, it's in that little subgenre of mute lead films. Warren Oates plays the uh, plays the protagonist without a single word uh, uttered. It's fantastic. If you read up about it, a, a fun fact you might find out is that when they were trying to work out how to advertise a film uh, about cockfighting uh, called Cockfighter with a mute lead, someone apparently in the distribution company office in the States uh, put forward a, a, a semi-joking, like a joking, not joking poster that had the tagline, he came into town with his cock in his hand and what he did with it was illegal in 50 states. <laughs> <laughs> Hungry wives too. Yes. Um, yeah, no, it's really, really great. I think um, I think my copy is the Anchor Bay disc from, mm-hmm. from the States. It's Yeah, it's a really, really great film. I don't If you know Hellman, things like Tulane Blacktop, Iguana... Um, he's a fantastic director. He's a cool director. He's a very cool director. I think he might be one of the directors that one of the filmmakers has a tattoo of the name of in Cecil B. Demented. Yes, I, I think, think so. Yeah, along yeah, with Herschel yeah. Gordon-Lewis, yeah, yeah. who we also talked about today. But yeah, well worth checking out. Now, and, I'm interested here, Dan, because um, Dan is very, very, very against um, any kind of animal cruelty yes. or animal torture. Um in real life, obviously, but uh, especially on film. And what is it about this one that sort of shifts the rules for you? Well, I don't know. It's weird because I feel that actually those rules... I don't know, it's really complicated because one of my favourite films of all time is Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. And when Diodato released the, the director's cut quite recently, where he cut out all the animal stuff, I thought, yeah, fuck, fuck you. <laughs> you, you can't unkill those animals. Right. All you can do is make their lives mean nothing. Right. If you cut them out of the film, they died for nothing. Right. Like Cannibal Holocaust is an objectively fantastic film. Like it's mm-hmm. a it's a work of art. Yeah. Whether you enjoy it is subjective, and it's not an enjoyable film per se. But compared to something like Cannibal Ferox, mm. like you know, don't speak of the dead. Obviously, we've lost we lost Lindsay recently. Yes, we, we yeah. did. Yeah. But like Cannibal Ferox, which was done the the next year, is a absolutely like bold-faced sleaze fest of the highest order it's a deeply unpleasant film mm. there's an amazing moment on the um i think it's elite laserdisc audio commentary where during the scene tr- trigger alert i guess for the next description um there's a scene in cannibal ferox where a woman is hung up by meat hooks through her breasts and over that moment in the audio commentary uh Lindsay goes you know sometimes i'm a little bit ashamed of this movie <laughs> and it's, wow. it's like seeing an opening onto a soul and that like I kind of I understand that like that's a worthy ashamedness and Diodata should be ashamed for letting those animals die as well in his film but to cut them out is is as bad almost and I, I kind of feel like the same with, with Cockfighter it's an amazing film and I hate that it happened under the circumstances that it happened but to pretend it didn't exist it didn't happen 
is 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 pointless. Yeah, it's a great film. And yeah, we we should say a kind word for Lindsay after being a tiny bit mean about him. I'm not I'm not being mean about him at all. I, 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 especially Lindsay's cop movies. I was about to say exactly that. Genuinely amazing. Yeah. The yeah. Yeah, and he's I much infinitely yeah. prefer his his police. But movies. you're not a big fan of cannibal movies anyway, though, are you? Not massively. No, I've never really got it. I like um, I like I like cannibal films, but it is a sticky arena to wade around in. There's some pretty dodgy stuff. In my thirty one thirty one, watching all my horror, I finally watched Green Inferno for the first time. Yes. Yeah, it's, that's an interesting. So film. that is uh, just a, just a, a little example of the of the breadth of uh, cannibal holocaust. Uh, an absolute masterpiece, uh, all the way down to Cannibal Ferox, uh, a grimy, dirty little film that will make you need a shower afterwards, and then, and then even further down to Green Inferno. Yeah, which just, I just don't. Please don't. Just don't. Um, but if you want to watch a, a good Lindsay film, what is it? It's the Cynic, the Rat, and the Fist. Oh, Cynic, the Rat, and the Fist is amazing. From nineteen seventy-seven, that's a really, really, really great that pop has, movie. That's out in the UK on Blu-ray, isn't it? It is. I'm not sure who released it though. It's not. If it's not Arrow, it's eighty-eight. I think. I don't know if it is. I think is it, it, could, it might be Indicator. Anyway, oh, it could be Indicator. It's, yeah. it's out there somewhere. It's um, and and it's really good. Yeah, very, very worth watching. So I am now going to recommend uh, after you know recommending a couple of genuine masterpieces um one an accepted masterpiece one that's probably only a masterpiece in my room but um the three-hour tv movie about frankenstein but anyway my third recommendation is going to be a a a bad film but it's one of those rare i'm not a huge fan of of bad movies um there's a handful that i love but i generally try to um only watch really good films when I can, when I've got the time. <laughs> but tish. tish posh. But um, this is just one of the most eye-meltingly oh, I know what we're doing. insane films I've seen. It's a film called Fangs from 1981. And I watched it at my friend Tony's house. Um, and I will, you know, that's where I watch a lot of the bad movies. And Tony's really fun to watch them with. So, you know, I make an exception because we kind of, drink beer and make fun of them but we were both sort of quite silent during (laughs) bangs because not necessarily because there was nothing to make fun of but more because um well let me let me let me let me give you the pitch okay so (laughs) this is in the early 80s a group of young people decided to uh in egypt decided to pay homage to uh the rocky horror picture show um, by sort of remaking it, but also creating a kind of weird social satire um, about that makes the sort of basic point that vampires are a good metaphor for how um, we get ripped off in our day-to-day lives um, by capitalists. And uh, it makes that point by a series of short films in the middle of this film in which um, people are ripped off and then the main vampire turns to the camera and smiles and reveals his teeth. This happens, I think, seven or eight times in a row. <laughs> um, and it's got an incredible soundtrack. It's a musical, so um, there are some genuinely wonderful songs in there. I, I honestly couldn't stop tapping my feet quite a lot of the time. But also, for some reason, despite the fact that they clearly have the ability to make their own great music, um, they've decided to import... Okay, what did I hear? Um, the Monsters theme tune at one point, 
the theme from the Pink Panther, the Jaws theme tune, the James Bond theme tune, um, all sort of in very incongruous scenes. They're, they're um, I'll give you line jokes. They're not punchline jokes. No, not at all. Um, for example, the Pink Panther song is played when a man sort of goes to the bathroom and realizes that one of his taps isn't working. <laughs> Um, and then it cuts straight to the James Bond theme tune as the plumber <laughs> arrives. <laughs> Man, it's a good film. Um, so, yeah, and then I did my sort of after-film research and discovered that actually it played at Fantastic Fest this year, which is such a weird confluence of what events. What year is it from? Um, from 1981. So oh, wow. a pretty big coincidence, but um, I think it went down well at Fantastic Fest. It was part of their sort of grind- grindhouse section. Um, so hopefully, if it played at Fantastic Fest, that means that someone somewhere is planning on releasing this uh, absolute masterpiece and you know arrow if you can sort out the the music rights issues with, <laughs> good luck with that <laughs> please release it but i think that's probably you unlikely think they, maybe they didn't clear that <laughs> i think they did <laughs> definitely didn't clear it any of it yeah but it's such an enjoyable fun film uh thangs from 1981 if you can track it down i recommend it when you said you were going to recommend a bad film i thought you were going to recommend a film about a bad film that you've seen recently oh i i can't recommend that because because I'm not allowed to talk about it. I'm oh, not, is it I'm, under embargo? I'm not allowed to even say that I've seen it. Oh, well, we haven't said what it is. Exactly. So. But I, this film, I will talk about at some point. As soon as I'm allowed to talk about it, I will talk about it, because it was a fucking masterpiece. But yeah. Shall we uh, move on to Dan? Oh, my goodness. Dan? Yeah. Here we go. We ready? Hello. Extra features. Extra features. Extra features. I've got nothing. Oh, shall we do our Twitters? Um, yeah. Like, okay, so here's the thing. I, via the magic of editing... What might happen is you'll hear all of this, and then you'll hear like a little, and then it'll be me contradicting it, and I've got something else. But if I haven't, sorry. He's going to try. Here are the here are the twitters. Here's our twitters. Right. So uh, I'll start this week. I am at Sam Ashurst, which is S A M A S H U R S T. And if you follow me, I do occasional reviews of upcoming films and I will do screen grabs of embarrassing interviews I've done and um, put those on there like I did with Jeff Goldblum recently. Dan, what is your Twitter address? Uh, mine is 13fingerfx. That's uh, the numbers, one, three, then finger, like the things on your hand, and fx, that's foxtrot x-ray. I'm wildly inconsistent and don't tweet that much, but uh, it's all gold when I do, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's it. We've got Actually, an Arrow email address, haven't we? Yeah, we have. What's that, Dan? It's arrowpodcast at arrow.internet do you know what I don't <laughs> I think, think that might be wrong don't think that's what it is it is yeah. arrow video podcast at arrowfilms.co.uk that's arrow video podcast at arrowfilms.co.uk and we haven't had an email for a while possibly because we haven't been given <laughs> we don't out read but, but we actually very very much want emails this time because we've done a very different style of podcast this week and we would like to get your thoughts about it um so if you're happier with this tell us if you want more changes tell us you know give us yeah this is your we are your puppets we are your meat puppets um (laughs) and and we don't want to be taken to the punishment dungeon again (laughs) the punishment wing the punishment wing of uh yeah i want baubles and and you know 
a, a DVD. Actually, Mike did bring me DVDs during the very pleasant meeting that we had. Which um, was I, actually I, in our kitchen. I, 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 I must, <laughs> yeah, I really must make that clear that that is a joke. All right. Thanks very much for listening. And we promise to be more professional next time. Yes. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.